0: Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with Omar Zenholm. He's the co founder and host of the $100 MBA show. The $100 MBA show was awarded Apple's best of iTunes and number one work smarter podcast. It consistently ranks as a top business podcast in over 30 countries with over 200 million downloads. In this conversation, he and I talk about entrepreneurship, getting started, what you need to know about transitioning and making that leap from your day job into an entrepreneurship. What do you need to be doing now if you're not going to leap soon, but leap eventually? Some of the struggles that he went up against as he was becoming an entrepreneur, as well as many lessons that can be found inside of his podcast, The $100 MBA Show. I know you're going to love this. This is a great primer compacted into a podcast episode all about entrepreneurship. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Omar Zenholm. Omar, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm so excited to be on
1: the show, Eric. Great to be here.
0: We've both been longtime podcasters, first off. Yeah. I also want to say we're both Blinkist shortcasts, which is a pretty cool instance here. I don't know that I've had another shortcaster on the show, or I should say there are people who became shortcasters after they've been on the show, but I've not had anybody come on the show after they've been a shortcaster, cart before the horse kind of a thing, so...
1: Yeah. And we're the OGs. Like We're the first showcasts that came out.
0: Yeah. We're first wave. By the way, let's do a quick pitch. I never mentioned this. So what Blinkist is, is it basically takes the essence of something, a piece of content, in this case, podcast, but they usually do it with books. And you can go into the Blinkist app. I'll put a link in the show notes. And you can go and you can do a free trial if you want to and all that. But what you do is then you can jump in and you know this episode here is going to be what, 40 minutes-ish in length. Somebody from Blinkist could go through, pull some clips that are like the best, most potent stuff from this episode, and then they'll throw the script to me. I'll record some interstitials to loop it all together, and then they put it out, and it's like seven-ish minutes or so. So it's not the full content, but it's a potent piece of content that that you can come back to and even go expand upon in the air quotes, real episode. And they've been doing that with my show and your show. How many do you have? I've got like 75, I think, maybe something like that.
1: I'm at 46 right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there you go. And it's like, all right. So here's the thing. Like I say all that to say, if you're not familiar with the $100 MBA, Omar's, Again, air quotes, real podcast. You can get a taste of it, though, over on Blinkist chartcasts. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Blinkist even before I was on the platform, just because I love to read a lot of books. I think actually books are probably the biggest like life hack of the world because there's so much great content for such a small amount of money. It's actually ridiculous how inexpensive a book is. But before I actually get into the actual book, I'll go and check out some Blinks and see if it like tickles my fancy or if I feel like, oh, this could be really a value. And then I, I jump into the book and invest. So it's like, I would say like a 10 minute investment before I invest like, I guess, 10 hours. So it's, it's it's a good way to kind of choose the next book to read.
0: It's like auditing a class, but instead of you know having to show up every day for the course of months on end, it's like auditing the entire course all in one sit
1: the way i always describe it is like you're watching one of those trailers of a movie where they actually just tell you the whole plot of the story in the trailer and then you go see the movie anyway because you just love the actors and you am sure the whole movie would be better than just a trailer i
0: actually like when they don't give away that much although sometimes trailers have to give away a certain amount to entice you to watch it there have been movies where i'm like I don't know about that. I kind of heard about it, but I see the trailer, and I'm like, oh, I've got to see this. And even though they've given yes. away the plot, major twists and all, I'm in. So there you go. So that's Blinkist. That's Shortcasts. You can catch my show, this show, as well as Omar's $100 NBA show over there. And I'll link up to that in the show notes. So very cool. I was just – I didn't want to you know, be remiss about including that little plug there, because it's really a beneficial piece for whatever stage you're in. When you want business advice, you want productivity advice, our two shows are there for you. Obviously, I'll link up the $100 MBA in the show notes as well. So how long have you been doing the $100 MBA? I think you actually were doing it either right before or right after me.
1: I think we started around the same time, maybe. Yeah, I, we launched in August of 2014. So okay. we're going to be celebrating eight years very soon. So I am at 10 years, so
0: I'm about two years deeper okay, there you than go. you, August 2012.
1: So yeah. Yeah. So that's some serious work right it is. there. It is. I actually had a podcast beforehand. I don't talk about it too much because it was a huge flop, but I learned a lot of hard lessons about how not to run a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a story for another day.
0: <laughs> Same here. I mean, I did a comedy podcast with a friend of mine on our work lunch hour for a year, and then we revisited it like a year after that. And and that was, you know, my mm. first foray into legit podcasting for fun. And then I co-hosted on a lot of different other shows and then got into this. So, you know, I was doing the Malcolm Gladwell hours thing for a while yeah, there, yeah. you know. So before you did the podcast, you were a full-time teacher. What's your journey look like pivoting wise? I mean, you, you were basically you were in education. You're still in education, just in a different yep. way. What's that journey look like from what you thought you were going to be doing probably for the rest of your life and yeah. you know transitioned into now? What's your origin story, your superhero origin story for Omar?
1: Yeah. So my dad actually was in sales all my life. He was an engineer by trade, but then he uh, switched careers around when I was around five into sales, car sales, actually. So like the typical like used car salesman, He used to sell Acura. So, so that, was, that was his thing. No real sales training or anything like that, but just was his thing, his jam. And he was like one of the best salespeople in the East Coast of the US. And he's just really good at his job and loved what he did. But if you know anything about having a pair that's in sales, it's very up and down. So, like, one summer holidays, you know, summer holidays are like, In Disney World, the next is like the backyard. So it's like, it's very, you know, depending on the seasons. So growing up in that environment, I I really didn't really look into business. I really didn't look into being an entrepreneur or even understand what that meant. I just wanted something that was stable and I didn't want to get into the military. I didn't want to go to medical school. So I decided to be a teacher because I was like, you know, education is going to be around forever. So I will uh, be a teacher. So I studied to become an English teacher. I got my master's in education and I was teaching English as a second language. And I taught for 13 years in that career, the last about six to seven years, I was in management. I was like the head of the department and the chair of the uh, department of the university I was working for the last position I was at. I have to say my situation was a little bit weird because I was really good at my job. Like I was really getting promoted very quickly. I was like at 25, I was like leading a department of teachers twice my age, you know, and it was it wasn't easy to make the decision to leave my career because I had so much sunk cost, right? I had so much to keep going for. And I always say the pivotal moving point or the shift for me was my frustration outgrew my fear. A lot of us, we we get so afraid to make that jump, but my frustration with my situation really kind of made me to make that leap. And that had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I was trying to get the next position up. I was trying to be the dean of the university I was working for. And I was like, you know, in the acting position for about a year and a half. And I was like, what's going on here? Why, why aren't they promoting me? And I went to my uh, supervisor at the time, and she just kind of just told me the truth. She's like, you know, the the director of the university wants to make an outside hire for this position, and they want a PhD. And at that moment, I was just like, oh my god! Like, I have no autonomy. I have no control over my career. This person is going to make a decision on my behalf, and. I can work as hard as I want and contribute so much to the university. It doesn't really matter. Uh, At that point, I was just like, okay, it's time for me to do my own thing. While I was in teaching my last 10 years, I was kind of side hustling, learning what businesses. I started with an eBay store and had an e-commerce store for a bit. I had a whole bunch of businesses on the side to kind of just learn how to be profitable and like how to do business and uh, return policies and things like that. So I'm happy that I had those 10 years of security net with a job. And then when I made the full-time leap, I was kind of confident that I can take what I've learned along the way and uh, become an entrepreneur. And that kind of spearheaded the idea of the $100 BA because many people, when they jump into entrepreneurship, they feel like they need to have some sort of permission or a certificate or a degree to be able to do business. But I felt like you know, if you could understand the fundamentals, it will be enough for you just to get started so you can learn as you do and as you grow. And that was kind of the, the brainchild of starting uh, the 100 BA show.
0: That's awesome. So you're coming at it from the angle of, one, you were doing a lot of experiential learning in and of yourself. You were learning kind of your own lack of agency, unless there's a better term for it, uh, in, you know, yeah. in, in your circumstance at the time. On top of you were realizing there are certain things due to my experience that oh this fundamental thing I need to make sure I grab onto that and then there's this one and this one and then you just started turning you turn that around and start repackaging that and saying well if you want to get started you need this mix of while you're doing experiential here's the core fundamentals and or vice versa because there's going to be people that come well you know what I want to I want to brush up on. And learn the core fundamentals from your show while I'm doing my day job and planning my eventual exit strategy, so to speak. Or there's people who are already in the thick of it doing a day job. They're doing their experiential learning. They're already following kind of the path you were. And then you're there right alongside them with the show as well to get them up to speed on the fundamentals.
1: Yeah, and you're and you've been around for a while, Eric. And when I got started in learning about business and just this whole world, it was two thousand and two, maybe even two thousand one. And the only thing that was available really online were like internet marketers, were people that are like who would be considered like swarmy, scanny people. And even looking back at it, you know, I remember kind of trying to sift through, you know, the things that I felt uncomfortable versus the things that are actually useful. And I just felt like business is more than just marketing, you know, business is it's about, you know, being conscious about what you're building and the team you wanna build and who you wanna work with and the product you wanna create and all that kind of stuff where, you know, I've created businesses where my customers are more passionate about my product than I was. And I felt resentment and I felt like and I didn't want people to make the same mistakes because there's some real fundamentals that you need to kind of get right in the beginning as you're growing, as you're making some critical decisions so that you can enjoy the process and also have the highest potential to grow and to be sustainable.
0: Yeah. Webinar Ninja. That's also something that people may know you from. One, what is that? And then two, when does that come into the mix here?
1: Yeah, I would say It was interesting because Webinar Ninja, we pre-launched Webinar Ninja in April of 2014. So about three or four months before the $100 MBA show got launched. And then... When the Hunter On show kind of got traction in that first year, the show kind of started to grow and we're really started to see, okay, there's something here and that we can really help people with this. They kind of kind of launched around the same time, but you know, when we pre-launched Webinar Ninja, it was still not out on the market yet. When we launched the beta, that would say around about November. I would say probably Webinar Ninja would not exist if it was a little bit later. Like I probably would be too focused on the show and too focused on on things like that. And they Kind of popped off at the same time, and you remember in the beginning, especially when you're you're, you're self funding yourself, you're like you got to try a whole bunch of different things. You got to just you know iterate and, and experiment. And these are the two things that work. There were a whole bunch of other stuff that didn't work that no one knows about <laughs> because they flopped so bad. But the point is, is that you know sometimes you just hit the mark and you just uh, start to just learn from your customers and your clients and try to iterate and improve. And at the end of the day, I'm still just leveraging the skill that I've known all my life, which is teaching. You know, I kind of feel like this is the only way I can really compete. It's so competitive out there, especially in podcasting, in software, and in all these areas. And I'm just trying to say, hey, I want to give my little angle to it by using my skills and my ability to be able to teach people in a concise and easy way. And even with Webinar Ninja, the software... People that come to us really see that, oh, they're really just allowing me to focus on my content. And I don't really need to worry about all the bells and whistles of the technology kind of takes care of all the things that I need. I don't need to worry about in the background. And that's really what we focus on is just like, hey, at the end of the day, you can have like the most feature rich software in the world. But if it keeps you from focusing on your content, which is why people are there in the first place, then we got a problem here. So we always have this kind of education, uh, teacher focused uh, angle to what we do.
0: dot com slash to do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed dot com slash to do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, leaning in on that teacher aspect of yourself, it sounds like that's almost lesson one right there for anybody who's considering short term or long term. They've been thinking, you know what? I think I need to become an entrepreneur. I have that bug or I've got that itch or however they want to describe it. Their current circumstance, whether that's been changing or not, you know, jumping job to job or long term, same one. They've got this other thing in their brain and they're just like, man, I really just want to do this thing. It sounds like one of the first main lessons is. Have enough self-awareness to know that you can, I want to use the word pivot, but it's almost not pivoting. It's almost smooth transitioning. It's a lateral move, in other words, from your teaching to your teaching. But the implementation is the only thing that's different, right? Your, your core-ness of who you are and what you do is still intact. And you you knew that about yourself. And I'm saying that's what the lesson is here for others
1: is, do you really know that well enough? And that's a that's a great question and and the best way I like to put it is where can you add the most value like this is where I can add the most value like most people on the internet, most people that have a podcast, most people that run a software company, they don't have you know thirteen years of classroom experience they don't have a master's education they don't have multiple certificates of training and assessment they have to take so they can keep their job. They don't have all this stuff that I have, so why am I trying to? do the same thing like tim Ferriss does like the guy is like a best-selling author and all he does is win i can't play his game and win i gotta play my game right and that's what I always say to people, Like when you look to start a business, look at where you can add the most value. And the example I always give is, if I wanted to become a travel blogger, for example, I love to travel, I love it, you know? And if I just said, oh, I'm gonna travel blog about what I'm passionate about, right? It's not about passion, it's about where can you actually serve your audience best? Like, I love the Japan, I think it's an incredible country. I-, I visited for the first time a few years back, and the culture and the food and the snowboarding, and I love it, right? But if I'm going to be totally honest, if I was going to start being a travel blogger, that's not the best country for me to start with. It's not where I can add the most value. I don't speak Japanese. I don't fully understand the culture. Probably Egypt would be a better example because my parents are Egyptian uh, and they migrated from Egypt to the States. And I was born in the States, but we'd go back to Egypt over the summer breaks. And so I speak Arabic. I know where the dodgy places. I know where you can get a good deal on a good authentic meal. It's not Like if I had a, you know, a free, you know, trip or ticket somewhere, probably number 19 on the list is Egypt, you know, because I've been there so many times and it's kind of boring for me. Right. But that's where I can add the most value. So if I was a travel blogger, I'd probably start with Egypt because I can give them the best information there.
0: So in other words, maybe start with the boring thing. Because it's your wheelhouse and you can cut your teeth on it because you already kind of have.
1: Exactly. Well, why make it harder on yourself? Business is hard as it is.
0: (laughs) Well, and especially in those initial stages, a lot of people, they're thinking, Mm. okay, how much do I need to make in order to shift out of the full-time thing into the unstable yet hopefully stable new thing? I love Adam Grant. One of the quotes that I have held close to me recently and, and seen a couple times is he says, quitting your full-time job to start a company is like proposing marriage on the first date. In other words, you want to date that thing a while. You want to have a relationship with it. You want to see if it's the right thing, if it's going to work out and then commit. So it sounds like that's, yeah. you know, you, you were dating Egypt, in other words, yeah. <laughs> or could yeah, have. Yeah. In this, we we in knew this... each other very well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So you knew like that was a possibility. That was something there. And that, and that's what we're saying is kind of the, you know, you looking at what are the things that you can try and see if they make money first off and then start to pivot from there. You already said this. You did try a lot of other things. Oh, yeah. The podcast and Webinar Ninja were kind of hand in hand within months of each other. And then those have moved forward. What were some of those things that you kind of looked into, tried, et cetera, that were smaller? You don't want to call them failures. You want to call them experiments or something along the lines of that.
1: Yeah, I have a very hilarious one. Before we started Webinar Ninja, the software, I was running a lot of webinars to to sell uh, our programs or courses over the $100 MBA. And I used to love it because it's like incredible. I can teach people, I can do it at scale, uh, but I, I hated putting it all together every week. Uh, it would take me like two hours to put landing pages together and integrate the software and email notifications and all this kind of stuff and Frankenstein it all together. And it wasn't always perfect. So I decided, hey, I'm sure there's going to be other people that hate the idea of putting this all together, I'm going to create a guide called the DIY webinar guide. I'm going to document all this stuff. I'm going to even like bundle it with some course videos and some cheat sheets. And uh, this is going to be incredible. Right. And I, you know, at the time I have had a decent email list. So, you know, I spent like four months working on this and working on the marketing and all that kind of stuff launched it. I was like, so excited. This is going to be incredible. I got two sales, right? And just wait for it, right? One of them was a chargeback. So one of them was like fraud. It doesn't even count. And the other one was just like a sympathy sale that, you know, fellow podcaster, John Lee Dumas, who's a friend of mine, bought just to check out what I was doing. And I, you know, bless his heart. was wonderful. But I can say at that moment, it was just like, oh man, this really flopped. And I just wasted four months of my life. And I, you know, really thought it was going to be successful. But it reminded me of a quote from the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, by Ben Horowitz, where he says, sometimes you got to create a bad product, create a great one. And that was that moment where I realized people don't want to do the work, right? They don't actually want to put this thing together. They just want something, a tool to do it for them. And that's kind of where the idea of Webinar Engine kind of got started, where I started experimenting and building something for myself first. And I started running webinars with it. And then people said, hey, what are you doing with this webinar? I never seen the software. I was like, oh, it's just something I put together. And they're like, oh, can I buy it? And that's kind of how that, product came to be because I failed at the first attempt of helping people with webinars with trying to show them how to do the work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Pat Flynn's got a great book on this. I think it was his first book, actually. Will it fly? Yeah, actually, I think that's his second book. Anyway, he's got like three, three or four books out now. But will it fly is him walking through the process of testing out ideas and seeing if there's merit to them especially in the entrepreneurial space. So I'll link up to that in the show notes.
1: I think that book, it was the first book, at least I know of, that was self-published that hit the Wall Street Journal list. I think you're right. For us, it was like kind of like the four minute mile moment or just like, oh, this is possible. You can self-publish and hit a list.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and testament to that, his most recent book, Superfans, Which is partially why that probably happened is because he's so good at not just knowing, but connecting with and interconnecting his, I'll use the word fan base because he uses the word super fans in his book. So I will say that's okay to say. And that kind of transitions is like, you know, knowing not just your audience, but your potential clients and customers, like doing some of that testing, connecting with some of those people, getting that early like beta test Or Alpha test, even like people coming in Mm -hmm. and really giving expertise and or feedback. Did you do any of that? I mean, you mentioned John Lee Dumas. Did you have any key people that were one mentor roles and or just trusted counsel friends?
1: Yeah, actually, when I first started Webinar Ninja or started thinking about pre-launching it and started selling it, I reached out to Noah Kagan, who is the founder of AppSumo and Sumo.com, which is like the pop-up software everybody has on their website. And the one piece of advice he gave me on a Skype call once that was really helpful was, you know, this is not a course. This is not a you know book. It's not like once you're done it's over it's like a never-ending story like it's never over it just keeps on going as soon as you release a new thing your users will be like oh that's cool but can you do this um so just know that this journey is gonna be long and it's not as rewarding it's not as like kind of like you know satisfying as like putting out and launching a course and be like oh i got you know 300 students and everybody's benefiting and i see all these success stories and blah 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 most of your happy customers are not going to say anything that means that they're they're satisfied. People you hear from are the people that complain. So it was good advice. And he, he was a few steps ahead of me, you know, a good amount of steps ahead of me. And, it, and I, I love this concept of just trying to connect the people that are where you want to be in a few years. So that was super helpful. I also just say I, I got a lot of support from just people in the space that are not necessarily in software. Like, for example, John Corcoran, he connected me to a lot of people, introduced me to a lot of people. One of the people that are like very close friend of mine now is um, Michael Port, who's the New York Times bestselling author of like Steal the Show and Book Yourself Solid and a whole bunch of great business books. He's a public speaking expert. They have like a great academy called Heroic Public Speaking. Him and his wife, Amy Port. And I just met him at a dinner. Actually, it was Matthew Kimberly who invited me to his dinner in in LA. I just felt like, man, these are like really nice people and super successful. I can't believe I'm even having dinner with them. And during the dinner, we're just chatting, getting to know each other. And then Michael just asked me, like, what are you doing? I was like, well, actually, I just launched a software called Webinar Ninja. It's like a webinar software for like coaches and speakers and authors like yourself, creators. And uh, he was just like, oh, how can I support you? And I was like, oh, I'd love for you to even just try it. If you like it, you can use it for your own webinars. And from his own like kind heart, he was just like, how about we do a webinar together and I introduced you to my audience. I was like, oh, cool. Like, whatever. Like, I'm still putting my affiliate thing together, but like, I'll set it up before. He's like, I don't want an affiliate commission. on anything. Just want to support somebody who's working hard on something cool. And I was just like, well, what in the world? What, what world am I living in here? <laughs> like, You know, and it's actually not that rare. Like, I've met some people that just kind of see themselves in you and want to support you and want to kind of see you grow. People like that along the way have helped me big time. Not only in terms of growing the, the, the actual software or growing the business, but also just giving me those boosts of confidence that like somebody believes in you and believes in what you're trying to do and they're sincere about it. That goes a long way. It totally does. And I, and I won't
0: rattle off a list, but there's a number of people between five and 10 people that are, you know, the core people and a bunch of other people, lower tier, so to speak, that have done, you know, lesser things. But it's been no lack in terms of people reaching out to be supportive and connecting and all that, especially those that knew you before (laughs) in a lot of ways, they're like, Hey man, that's so awesome that you're doing the thing that you're doing. I actually have this opportunity. I can help you out. Let's do this. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Thank you. And you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody. You're like name drop, but that happened and it's like something that you just, you don't let go of that. You become super thankful for that. Totally. And hopefully then do the same
1: for others. Yeah, I, I try as much as possible to reply to all my emails and DMs and all that kind of stuff because I remember how hard it is just to get some traction in the beginning and or just have somebody to say like, hey, just keep going. You know, somebody who maybe you look up to or somebody you follow it means a lot, especially when you're trying to pay your bills and you're trying to, you know, put something out in the world and all that stuff. It's definitely a mindset
0: thing. What would you say are other aspects to the entrepreneurial mindset that you can start cultivating now even if you're not in a full-time entrepreneur mode
1: what are those components of an entrepreneur mind we need to cultivate now the number one thing i would say is the mindset that your time is the most valuable asset that you have we don't really fully grasp that i'm going to say that even even as a teacher back in the day when i was in a full-time job a lot of times we are killing time. Like it, time is not, doesn't really have much value until, you know, it's, we clock off. Then we're like rushing to get home and do our activities there or, you know, uh, or start the weekend. The reason why this is so important is because as soon as you become self-employed or, you know, you start your own thing, you need to really be your own manager. You know, that was one of the biggest challenges I had when I became a full-time entrepreneur because you know, as an educator, they give you everything or any, 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 any job really, like they give you a schedule. They tell you when to show up. They tell you exactly what to do. They give you the materials. They give you business cards. They give you a desk. They give you everything you need to be successful. All you got to do is just do your job. And half the people don't even do that. You know? So it's like when you graduate from that and become, you know, self-employed and become an entrepreneur, you need to structure all this stuff around you and Time is not money. It's worth more than money. You need to understand that you got to get focused. You can't get distracted. You can't be everywhere at once. You know, a lot of people tell me, Why aren't you doing this, this, and this? Like, I'm not everywhere. Like, I don't, you know, I'm really bad at social media, actually. Like, I'm not really that huge on social. And it's because I can't expand all my energy everywhere. Like, I want to be as good as a podcaster as possible. I can't be, you know, a black belt in judo and also be an Olympic uh, volleyball player. Like, I got to focus here. I got to figure out what I'm going to be good at and just try to go all in. And making those choices in the beginning really matters because you're making choices with your time. And just setting yourself up with that and understanding that even if it's like carving out that time for yourself on the weekends for your side hustle or after work and just getting really disciplined about that and like actually getting things done rather than research on social and all that kind of stuff or uh, looking for the next tool to magically help your business. That really is a game changer for me when I really buckled down and said, "Okay, I got to plow through my to do list.
0: Well, and this is one of the places that I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to this podcast, can learn from is a lot of people will use the excuse, oh, I already have a full-time day job. I also have this hat, this other hat, whether that's family, friends, a life, however you want to split Mm. that up. I've got all these hats, and then they don't realize, oh, I'm also wearing this tiny one that is Netflix binging, or I'm also wearing this other tiny one, which is scrolling endlessly and needlessly on social And those minutes and those hours and weeks and months could have gotten you further down the path if you had even just said, you know what, one night a week, even if I'm a Netflix binger, I'm going to do the exception. I'm going to pick one night a week where I'm going to instead or even mornings again, be flexible with the schedule, figure out when it works best for you. We've got a whole episodes on sleep and (laughs) timing of the day to do the right things and all that. However, you have more time than you think you have. You're just using it for things that don't matter as much and you're not being intentional as much as you should. That's what I'm taking away from what you just said.
1: Totally. And you know, I, I did it. I side hustled and built businesses on the side when I was in a full-time job. When I was in teaching, I was leaving the house when it was dark, coming home when it was dark. And I dedicated my summer holidays to building my businesses. And it's not like I'm some sort of superhuman. It's just that I had to make some sacrifices. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't do that really helped me is having a chat with the people that are close to you, the people that you live with, your family, your spouse, your, if you live with your parents or whatever it is, even your friends, like the people that you hang out with regularly, that you spend time with, that you go to the movies with, and just say, hey, I- I'm really trying to give a go at this. I'm really trying hard to build this thing I'm trying to build. I'm not going to be as, uh, available. I'm not going to be hanging out as much as I'm not going to be doing XYZs. I usually do. Please don't make this hard on me and say, come on, let's go out. You know, like I, I need your support here. I think a lot of people forget that you need to kind of be a little bit vulnerable and just put yourself out there and say, Hey, I actually want this thing. You know, and I really want to be successful here. Can you help me out by being supportive and, you know, uh, just understanding that I'm not gonna be able to go out every weekend or, or do whatever I got to do to do the things I used to do. So, and by doing that, it's not only you kind of voicing this to your friends and family, you're also just like making a declaration with yourself saying like, I actually care enough about this dream of mine that I'm willing to sacrifice and be public about the sacrifice with other people. Uh, and it's a big step because then it's kind of like you really need to ask yourself, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to sacrifice all these things, all these little hats you're talking about, the Netflix and things like that, to be able to make it happen? I'm going to be honest with you, like I don't know anybody who's accomplished anything, especially that transition from full time job to full time entrepreneurship without making those sacrifices, uh, even just for the short term. I always say like, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, sacrifices is always temporary because you can sacrifice now, but then you can be able to reorganize your life and get back into things later. Yeah. It's going to look different for everybody. It's going to be a different scenario. Again,
0: however many hats you have depends on who you are and what your cumulative experience is up to this point and what you're committed to. So if you have more hats, you're going to find it harder. And so maybe it's a matter of looking at what are all those hats and which hat can I, you know, to use your word, which hat can I sacrifice or sacrifice a sliver of that hat? You know, wear less of Mm. a hat. I know this metaphor is falling apart, much like the hat. No, but uh The point is, is that it's gonna look different for everybody. So don't just say, okay, this person did this and I'm gonna do exactly what they did. No, it's gonna be, you have more time, there's the principle, figure out where that is, but it's gonna look different for you than for other people. You may not be able to carve out as much right away, but also this is an entrepreneurial skill. You're going to have to manage this long-term eventually anyway, like you said earlier that Noah said, it's never ending. So this is a skill you start now and grow ongoing forever
1: in perpetuity totally and one of the things i tried to kind of hack my way through is like one of the things i really care about that i kind of feel guilty about but like like i love basketball i love following the nba i love watching highlights i love hearing the gossip of the trades and all that kind of stuff So, so like youtube is my thing right so like i invested in getting youtube premium so i don't have to watch ads I decided to, instead of watching that in the morning before I get to work or whatever, I would do it while I was at the gym, you know, just, just kind of multitask in some way. And I still get my fix, but I still get to exercise and things like that. And I just may reduce it a little bit, you know, and it's not like a huge change, but at the same time, I'm just conscious of the fact that, uh, you know, I'm I'm spending a lot of time doing this stuff. Maybe I need to, you know, cut back a little. Yeah. It's totally doing basically a time audit of
0: not just your work tasks, but your whole life. You know What does it look like day to day, week to week? And then, oh, you know what, I had no idea. I was, again, I'm gonna use Netflix as the example, although they just lost like however many subscribers in this past quarter, which is the most they've ever lost. But anyway, point being, oh my gosh, I'm watching how many, you know, insert your amount of Netflix here, or watching content, created content, whatever it is and insert something else here if it's really here's the thing there's nothing wrong with netflix there's nothing wrong with watching lots of movies and lots of tv there's nothing wrong with that unless that's not what you're intending to spend that time on it's it's the intentionality here right and so you're not saying no you know what in order to be an entrepreneur i had to cut basketball out completely no you just compressed it, you moved it, you shifted it, you actually probably then became guilt-free about when you did it. Exactly. Exactly? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So And and
1: that's a huge thing because you're not really fully enjoying it in the moment then. You're just kind of like, uh, you know... uh, I got to do this just so I can like, you know, refresh myself or feel recharged. But deep down you kind of feel guilty because you feel like you should be doing something else. And it's like, you know, it's interesting. We got to dig deep and ask ourselves, like, what are we really doing here? Like, you know, like, let's, let's make some decisions so we feel better about the situation. So we're talking about time as
0: a resource. Uh, let's talk about money as a resource. Oh, what is boy. This, this is the big bombshell kind of topic when a lot of people talk entrepreneurship. So obviously Nobody should go and, well, see, here's the thing. I just said nobody should. That's not what I'm saying. Circumstantially, it would be good to move from one thing that is stable to another thing that's stable. That's not always possible here, though we've talked about different ways of accommodating that and building up slowly and and so forth. What has, one, your experience slash your learning been when it comes to figuring out, okay, how much do I need to make? When I've made a certain amount, how much do I reinvest back into the business? All those kinds of good pieces. What's your journey look like there?
1: Yeah. So when I knew I was going to resign from education, as an educator, you can't just leave in two weeks. You have to uh, give six months notice so that they can replace you for the beginning of the next semester. So it gave me enough time to kind of have an exit strategy to know what I'm going to do next, um, to have a bit of runway, all that kind of stuff. This is just my story. Some people will think this is extreme. Some people think I can't do that. I totally understand that. Take it and translate it to your own version. What I did is I just said, one of the best ways I can make my runway last longest and lower the pressure on myself a little bit so that I can think creatively and I can be able to make some sound decisions in that first six months to a year of entrepreneurship was to lower all my expenses as much as possible. You know, mind you, I'm I'm making this transition when I'm 32. So like, you know, most people at 32 they're like, "Okay, I own a house, I got a nice car, like they're living their best life," you know? And I was just like, "No, I'm not living my best life. Like, I'm going to sacrifice right now because I want something else. I want a, a different life. I'm exchanging my life right now and I need to kind of cut back on a whole lot of things. At the same time, I am a big believer that your environment dictates a lot of your actions and what your beliefs are. And so I decided to move to New York City because I, it was always a dream of mine to move to New York. People don't realize how much New York has its own energy, especially when you live there, because it just forces you to up your game. And everybody has their own version of New York. But for me, it was just like, you know, everybody's like going after their dream in New York. No one's going to New York to kind of be like a saver and, and to play it safe, right? Everybody's. Chasing their dream, and everybody's trying something new, whether they're starting a business or they're starting an acting career or they're trying to, you know, make something happen in their life. And being around those types of people in terms of networking, in terms of just personal growth, it's just in terms of just self motivation, where it's like sometimes you just need other people around you to make you feel like, oh, I could do this. Like I I can actually pull this off. So I knew that I was going to move to New York. I was going to just drop all my expenses. I sold my car. I had no like, real expenses. I just subwayed everywhere. I lived in um, in the village, so right across the street was the IFC, the uh, cinema, which was like the, the air-like old movies and you know midnight kind of showings of like fight club and things like that and they have like an annual membership and i it was like 300 bucks or something like that so i was like okay i'm gonna be 300 this is gonna be my entertainment for the next year right and i just go and watch free movies all the time and they had free popcorn too and things like that and the thing about new york is that you can spend a lot of money in new york but you can also you know there's a lot of free things you could do free uh you know plays and shows and activities and sports and there's these I like basketball so there was like this league called Startup Basketball where a bunch of startup founders would go and meet up and play basketball on Saturdays and so it just got me to be creative with my money. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to lower my expenses. I'm going to just work as hard as I can and build connections and try to use the environment and this experience. One of the best decisions i made in my life, because it's really hard to build and be creative and make decisions when you have so much you know, financial pressure on yourself. You know, And I've been there and it was kind of tight sometimes. But at the same time, you want to be able to have that room where you're like, okay, I don't want to make decisions based on my financial situation and just take any gig and and lower my standards. And by lowering your expenses, you're allowed to do that.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, again, you're applying intentionality and you're saying, you know, budget wise, I only have this much. How can I cut corners without sacrificing too much? You want to make sacrifices, but which sacrifices are you not willing to make?
1: Totally. And for me, the social aspect the, I'm going to become a new person in this new place that had a lot of value to me. So, you know, my biggest expense was rent. I lived in a one bedroom dungeon with Nicole and it was like a very small thing, you know, and it was just like on top of falafel stand. It was like, it was really bad, you know, but we were in New York. So we were like, okay, it's going to be fine. And most people who live in New York know that like no one ever goes over your house. You just, you all meet outside the house. You go to restaurants, you go to you know clubs or something like that. But for me, I just really wanted to be able to give myself everything that would help me be successful, whether it's the, the people, the network, the environment, you know, just the idea of like changing your environment, moving somewhere new and be like, OK, I could be somebody new now. I know that sounds strange, but it works. I don't know. It just helped me. I'm trying to think of, you know, in terms of what else there is for the mindset,
0: the education, the journey from where someone is right now to where they want to be. What have we not brought up? I know, again, money's going to be circumstantial. Time's going to be circumstantial. Right. Where they are right now, circumstantial. Is there anything else
1: maybe universal, though, that we've not brought up? I would say one of the things that people don't realize is like, when you go into entrepreneurship, it is a big lifestyle change. And you're going to have to form some new habits. Don't pretend that, that that's not happening. Don't pretend like, oh, like I can just plow through this and I don't need any help or a crutch. For me, I couldn't work at home by myself. Like I couldn't do it because I would get distracted. So in the beginning, I would go to co-working spaces. I was, I would go to cafes where other people were working just so that I would feel forced to feel like, okay, I got to get on task until I built the discipline to be like, okay, and have my calendar chock full of you know time blocks and all that kind of stuff. And I can stick to it and I felt accountable to myself. But you know, just recognize where you're at and realize that you're gonna have to build some habits. If you need to go to a co-working space, if you need to have a buddy system, if you need to use a time tracker, if you need to use, you know, time doctor, whatever it is do it. It's okay. Like you don't need to be, you know, Hercules theory, you, you know, like right now we need to take baby steps so that you can improve 1% a time every single day and build those habits and build those, I would say those muscles of of discipline. Yeah. I would say that that totally
0: rings true to me. I was working a full-time job many jobs ago, probably 12, 13, 14 years or more ago. And I was in a specific role. I was breaking records, so to speak. One, I was getting not just everything done. I was getting everything done for the day in the first two hours I was sitting there in my cubicle, literal cubicle. And I'm like, well, what do I do with the rest of my time? And I was so productive with the rest of that time. I played so many video games on my computer and had like a setup to where I could see if somebody was coming down the hallway. Amazing. Like That was so productive of me. If you can't tell I'm I'm totally being disingenuous about this. Yeah. I look back on that time and I'm like, yeah, that was a fun time to like goof off and like I was still I mean, I was completely, you know, conscience free, got all my work done and then some. Like I was doing extra. I was doing above and beyond and still had the time. And in a way I was kind of perfecting my system, streamlining my efficiency in that sense and mm-hmm. and I took a lot of what I applied there to get that stuff done in that 2 hours and then applied it elsewhere In the future, I I don't feel guilty about it now. And I didn't really then either, but I feel like there was a lot of time where I could have been sitting there researching, reading, writing and doodling and, you know, having conversations online, et cetera, even if not in this kind of a format, but in a like social media kind of a format, networking, in other words, that that was time I can't ever get back. But at least now I'm aware of that. And that's kind of what you're saying too.
1: Yeah. But you bring up a good point. Like, I think it's, it's really about what you get done rather than how much time you put into it. And a lot of people have to understand that entrepreneurship is a lot like that. Like where, you know, you might have an intense four or five hour sprint where you're like creating content and you're, and you're creating products and you're helping your customers and you're doing all the things. And then you know, that's probably more efficient and a better use of your time than doing 14 hours of just kind of here and there and browsing Twitter and going back and forth and just kind of like not really being as efficient. I believe like in a lot of ways, entrepreneurship is like, you know, American football, where it's like you just it's such a high intensity kind of activity when you are actually doing the work that you you can't do it full on. Like you're going to burn out like you they don't play a football game every day like or every other day like a basketball where they have 82 games in a season they have what 18 games in a season in football so it's like you have to realize that like you have a capacity you need to use that capacity and those that energy in 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 the most efficient way and it's okay to recharge your batteries it's okay for you to kind of you know especially when this is your only thing you're doing now but uh you know to just be conscious of your energy levels because i realized this a little bit too late in my entrepreneurial career maybe like four years into it where I would get really burned out. Like I would, I would get to the point where it's just like, I needed a holiday three months ago. And one of the things I learned from my buddy, um, Dale Beaumont, who runs Business Blueprint in Australia, he has this thing called the preloaded year, where basically he has his calendar for the year and he puts in all his breaks and his holidays and his weekends and his things to take care of himself and his family first before he starts loading up everything else for work. Because if you don't do that, you're going to get to the point where you're going to be burnt out. We don't like design it like, okay, I know myself about, you know, maybe, you know, nine weeks in, I need a break. I'm going to need a, a long weekend here. So you kind of like, he recommends to kind of kick it back a little bit even more, like instead of waiting nine weeks, make it seven weeks or eight weeks so that you go in the, into it and you actually enjoy. Most of us, we go to holiday or we go on a vacation and the first two, three days don't even count. We can't even unwind yet. We're still thinking about work and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. That's another key piece that somebody can work on right now is knowing your, your capacity and knowing your level of intensity and knowing what that duration for that is. And, and you're even making me think even a little bit, looking back on that example I gave of me sitting in the cubicle, you know what? I was super intense for 15 hours plus of the week as I was in that cubicle and luckily I was able to leave the job at that cubicle. That was at a point in time where it was not trailing me home or during lunch hour on a phone or a laptop, et cetera, yeah. and getting, you know, pages or pings or texts or whatever or emails. Yeah. Like none of that mattered. I could leave it there. But I was doing a super intense two hours and and then another really kind of half hour to an hour in the afternoon as a follow up kind of loop. That still left about seven hours a day, seven times five and you're talking many, many hours. However, that was me recharging. I realize I was hitting it hard, getting it done, perfecting it and getting it better and better. I was getting better at expanding less energy when I was in that intensity mode. And that's great. But I was also then recharging and then recycling and having a cyclical rhythm to it. So totally. Yeah. I feel better. I feel a lot more guilt free. I mean, I already did. Again, I said I was in no way was I slacking off. I was getting everything expected and then some. However, <laughs> there was time there that could have been spent differently. And I've always kind of wondered what if now I don't really have to think about that as much. So
1: no. And and one of the biggest takeaways from what you just said is when you go to make your hires, when you go to hire somebody like I'm a big believer in like I'm going to try to find the most expensive person to do this job because they're going to be the most efficient, they're going to do it faster, they'll do it with less mistakes. You know, I rather hire like uh somebody who is going to, you know, charge me 200 dollars an hour, uh, but probably get the job done in 10 hours rather than somebody who's half that price but going to do 100 hours of work to make it happen. This is totally like my experience when it comes to pretty much any skilled work, whether it's sales copy, whether it's engineering, whether it's a designer, people that are really good at their stuff or their craft, they can really do it in a much more efficient way. And I don't feel like I should penalize somebody like that. That's a benefit. I'd rather pay more for efficiency. Like if you can do it for a shorter time and get it done, I, I usually save money because you really do get what you pay for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, it's all about the long haul. It's all about it never being over. It's about then, Applying that never being over mentality to now and building these habits, building this mentality in brick by brick so that it's more of a foundation routine and energy and focus wise. You'd be amazed at where you'd be at in the future if you put those bricks in and build that foundation
1: now. Yeah, and it's it's all an investment. Like yeah. even my days in teaching, all the little things I did back then, I always still remember those skills I picked up and I use them in some different way now in my business or in my webinars or in my podcasts and everything we do, all our experiences, good and bad, even even in life and relationships, we can learn from them. Yeah. Well, there's so much more lessons that you've got on your podcast
0: and like I said, I'll link up to that in the show notes, but for somebody who's in the gym or driving and can't open up a device and shouldn't, good on you. Where can people go to find out
1: more about you and the podcast and everything else? You can check us out, the $100 MBA show on your favorite podcast app. It's a daily business podcast. So about 10 to 15 minutes a day, we teach a lesson. I teach a lesson on... Something specific to help you build your business, improve your business, whether it's making your first hire or how to fire somebody or how to build out your HR system, even if you don't have an HR team, all that kind of stuff. So the $100 MBA show, if you want to go to our website, it's 100mba.net. We got some easy to click buttons so you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Omar, it's been great
0: talking with you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad you reached out. It's been great catching up. Great sharing and teaching. Yeah. Let's do it again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure, Eric. I loved being on your show. Uh, You've been an awesome friend from afar and supporter. And I want to thank you because I I haven't had a chance to thank you in, in person or virtually or on a call because, you know, that means a lot to me because even though like, we haven't done business together or really like gone to work together too much, you know, always kind of felt like you've been supportive and, and, and nice and that takes effort. So yeah. it's easy to be mean. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, I held all that in. No, I'm kidding. I try to be nice. I'm glad that came across. Omar has been great. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again soon. Take care. That's another podcast crossed off your listening to do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Omar. I know that I did make sure to check out his show, The $100 MBA Show. You can find that anywhere that you're listening to podcasts like where you're listening to this episode right now. Also, make sure to go to beyondthetodolist.com slash Blinkist to find shortcast episodes that he and I mentioned for both of our shows. Again, that's beyondthetodolist.com slash Blinkist. That's where you'll find those shortcasts, quick and easy ways to boost your productivity and your business knowledge. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would love for you to share this with somebody that you know needs to hear it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice or on the show notes at list.com. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next episode.